News stories were coming in about this strange virus in Wuhan, China. It was weeks before we saw the first cases in the U.S. As the numbers went up each day, my curiosity got the best of me, and I started plotting the curves. Hear stories from real people all over the world and how they've responded. I'm Sally Hendrick, founder of Shout Your Cause, and this is COVID-19, The World Responds. Hi, C. Groon. Is that how you say your name? Mm-hmm. Yay. So uh, good to have you here with me. My name is Sally Hendrick, and I know we've met a couple of times in person before. And you're very well known in the business space online, and I very much appreciate you being here with me. Well, thank you for having me, Sally. I'm excited to have this talk with you today. Yeah, this is a really hot topic these days. Obviously, we're talking about COVID-19, but I kind of want to mix that up a little bit with what you do online as a businesswoman and what I do online as a businesswoman and, and how we can uh, be, you know, talking about this to our audiences out there and also to people, you know, who are interested in what's happening with COVID-19 just to see how the world is responding. Yeah. So tell me, what is it that you do? Give me a little bit of Uh, background? I have a coaching business and I help female online entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. uh, take their business to the next level, six or seven figures, depending on what the aspiration is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm on a mission to accelerate gender equality through female entrepreneurship. And I think my unique way of helping my clients is that I fast track the results you know, you could even call me a slave driver if you want to use that <laughs> word. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like, many of my clients tell me they're a little bit scared of me, but that's exactly what they need, you know, so I can mm-hmm. kick them in the butt and get them to do what they wanted to do and they get fast results. Awesome. So how fast are you usually pushing these uh, concepts to them? So I went from, you know, I started with one-on-one coaching over six years ago, and then I went to groups, and then, uh, you know, I have now a a year-long online program. But what I noticed, when you have this all set up, you have your created your modules, your videos, your worksheet, and everything, and then I was just like, what are they doing? Why are they not doing it? Yeah. And I figured out that uh, the completion rate of online courses is 9%. You know, I, 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 you know, I figured out that some other people had really been doing this for even longer time than me and they had this data. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that is crazy. People buy a $2,000 or $3,000 online course and then they don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, two years ago with uh, accountability. And that's, that doesn't mean that I hop on the phone with every person. I just create this, you could call it group pressure to okay. take action. Uh, I started with something called Samba Summer School uh, because I thought, well, in the summer, it's going to get even worse. People are not going to, people are going to do less. <laughs> so uh, I said, Samba Summer School is coming. Samba Summer School is coming. So my program is called Samba, Sigrun's Online MBA. Okay. And I created a summer school just for my clients. This is not for outsiders. You have to be in the program. And I'm like, it, it's coming. And they knew, they didn't know what it was. And one day I go on Facebook Live and said, you are going to create your first or next online course 
mm-hmm. in this, this summer. And you're going to follow me exactly. I'm going to go do Facebook lives from time to time. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And then you have to fill out progress reports with me. Who's in? You know, so they had to sign up. Uh, and there was this group pressure of signing up. Yeah, I'm in. And I'm yeah. like, no, I'm going on holiday. Or, and I'm like, I don't care if you're going on holiday or not. You know, you're an entrepreneur. You joined this program because you want to have success. And they're like, okay, okay, I'm in. I said, you know, you can, you can run your online course from anywhere in the world. You can be on the camping side. I don't care. Um, so I we had this- a course on a train going <laughs> exactly. from Prague to Krakow, Poland. I wrote yeah. a course on that plan, on that train that day. And then I like wrote another one on the way back. <laughs> yeah. So basically I created this 10 week process. Uh, the first time I ran it was hundred, I don't know, 120 people signed up uh, out of 500 in the program. The year after people were like, are you doing it again? Are you doing it again? They, they were like months in advance. So excited. I'm like, the, the modules are in the program. You have access to it. No, yeah. no we want to we do it with you because, you know, I create this, you know, I really inspire them to do it. And then they all kind of uh, force each other to participate. So I doubled the participation rate. Uh, again, about 500 people in the program. My program is year long. It's not lifetime access. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we had over 264 people in the second round. And, and then I was discussing this with my mastermind group, how amazing this was and that the completion rate is 90%. Wow, that's so I, amazing. I go from 9% to 90% because I know exactly like if they fill out all the progress reports, I say that's completed because they didn't just watch videos mm-hmm. because that's how some online courses counted. You know, if people watch all the watch videos. The videos. The, yeah, that's 9% completion rate. But in my program or with this process, they've actually done the work. Otherwise they can't, cannot fill out the report that I have them fill out. Mm-hmm. So I'm discussing this with my mastermind and they said, this has to be a part of the program. Every time a new client joins your program, they have, you have to do this. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be so much work for me. Um, but I found a way. I hired a coach uh, and I asked my students who wants to help me run this process for new students. Mm-hmm. I have uh, one coach now who is kind of like taking over coaching calls for me mm-hmm. in this process. And then I have 10 mentors from the program. So people have actually done the process themselves. So they can just speak from their own experience. Right. So now every time I launch uh, Samba, we have this 10 week kickstart in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, everyone creates an online course. And I added uh, at the end, creates an upsell. And people have been making thousands of dollars, like, you know, often these are beginners, but uh, also people who have been years in business, they don't have a good online course or mm-hmm. they can add a new one. Uh, so we've had people, you know, six figure, multiple six figures also participating. Mm-hmm. Now I got so excited with, uh, you know, yes, we are having COVID-19 and it's not, you know, good what's happening. It's very serious and it's sad. But at the same time, as an entrepreneur, you see an opportunity and I'm like, oh, I can now maybe help them market and sell the course that they maybe have created with me for. Or if someone is offline and had lost all their business, they can quickly get their business online. Mm -hmm. So I just created another 10 week (laughs) marathon and we are now in the fourth week and many people have already paid for the course, like 
uh, we, I helped them sales, like they've already made their sales to pay for the courses they invested in. Is this the recession proof one that you're, you've been promoting or is this something else? So I have a live bootcamp that is Mm -hmm. two days where you, uh, create your recession proof offer. And, uh, that's what I'm promoting officially. So once people join that, I make them an offer to actually join a 10 week program where we teach them, where I teach them how to sell the offer. Yeah. But that's long story short, uh, what I do. But that makes, that makes total sense. And the nice thing about it is that the audience that I have typically is the similar audience, the online entrepreneur or someone who's trying to get into that space. uh, That's who's listening to me. In addition to the people that I know personally and also within the state and so forth because of the guests that I've had on this podcast. So just to give you a little background on that, I've had the chancellor of the University of Tennessee at Martin on uh, the podcast. He's obviously here in Tennessee and he's talking about what's happening with the college students, the college uh, online teaching and so on and so forth. And then I've had someone who was a business owner who was making uh, sound reactive technology for um, fire tables. So like a table that's outside at a bar and it's got fire in it and there is Bluetooth music pumping into it and making the fire dance. That's what he does. He's actually a business partner of my husband's as well, but He's now making hand sanitizer in bulk and selling to retail, big box retail stores. And he's connecting his Chinese connections, which is why he got into this, to people here who are now making PPE, the personal protective equipment, the masks, the face shields, and all of those things. And he's gone through all the hoops to figure out the FDA regulations that the US has. And so, but he's, but he's, a, he's a fire table guy. I mean, you know, it's crazy. And then another business owner who does something else and doctors and whoever. And, you know, one of the doctors that I've talked to um, is an online entrepreneur as well. Um, She has taken her podiatrist, uh, her podiatry practice. She's made shoes. She has uh, started like a health type program and does a yoga Uh, thing online as well. And I've known her for a while, but the interesting thing about talking with her is that she understands things from the physician's perspective. And she has a lot of people in her network that are physicians and she lives in New York. So she's getting a lot of inside scoop, if you will. She's also the fiance of someone who is advising behind the scenes with the, the models, the numbers that are the predictive models. And so the fact that we've got these connections all around the world in different ways, it's just fascinating. Like you're probably being able to reach people that you have never reached before because now they're in a, in, in a situation where they're like, oh, this could be a crisis. I really need to be prepared for something like this if I need to roll out an online program. Absolutely. Uh, You know, the pro, the people that joined my new program that I just created overnight, basically, uh, I call it online turnaround because I used to be a turnaround CEO 16 years ago. So I decided, Oh, this is an online turnaround. So it's for people who 
ha- have not had an online business before, or if they have an online business, but they're not at six figures yet, because I have programs, you know, for six figure, multiple six figures and million mm-hmm. dollar business owners. But in my marketing, you will mostly see me with, uh, you know, people who want to take their offline business online, or they want to scale to six figures. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing yeah, someone who's been a Qigong teacher for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a doctor that was fully booked and now she can't, you know, she has to take it online. Uh, I'm seeing, uh, you know, nutritionists and dance teachers and, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so much fun to work with these people and change their lives and see them make money only a few weeks into this new business. Yeah. And that, that's pretty amazing. Now, when it comes to the COVID-19 situation, the reason why I reached out to you was because I saw where you had posted on Facebook some information about what was happening in Iceland, which is originally where you're from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from Iceland. And it's been interesting to see how Iceland has dealt with the situation. You know, I was, uh, I was in the U.S., when the first case was discovered, and I think it hit me personally deeper somehow mm-hmm. than in any other country. Uh, and I think it was actually the same day there was the first death in the United States. So it kind of coincided. So it, it got pretty serious for me. And I flew to Iceland from, uh, from the United States, and uh, it was, was a stark difference because uh, in the States, I started to look for hand sanitizer. Uh, and on that first day uh, that uh, the first death was, I found, I found uh, several bottles in CVS. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I buy one bottle. And then I, two days later, I thought, oh, that was silly of me. I should have bought more. I go back to the shop. Everything is sold out. Uh, I fly out of the United States a few days later. There is nowhere hand sanitizer to be found. It's, it's nothing at the airports, in no shops. I go into multiple shops, nothing to be found. People are selling all kinds of other stuff instead, uh, thinking that will help. And then I land in Iceland and there's hand sanitizer everywhere at the airport. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Um, yeah, what, what happened was in Iceland is, uh, of course, it's an island, and you could say, oh, that's easier and you're fewer people. Yes, we're only 366,000. But that does not really explain it. Uh, we have a crisis control uh, committee, mm-hmm. you know, similar, I guess, to CDC and the United States. And it took over. We don't have politicians deciding what to do. Right. You have the... So- the people that yeah. are in charge to actually scientists, doctors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a police officer in charge and then there's two doctors uh, with him. And uh, lucky uh, one, one, one is a woman. Uh, we always make sure we have a woman <laughs> on board. Um, and uh, they started daily meetings uh, and they would share what's happening. And then they decided to, uh, you know, if you came for instance from the skiing areas in Italy, from, you know, North mm-hmm. Italy, uh, you would have to go into quarantine. Uh, and what they did, because Iceland does not have a direct connection to Italy, like flights normally, but there were a few flights over the ski seasons. So when there were direct flight coming in, it could not park at the air terminal. And this was 
beginning of March, mm-hmm. early March, uh, where I feel, you know, because I was in the U.S. at the same time, I didn't see the same kind of sense of urgency right. uh, for what was happening. So, yeah, the, the plane had to be kind of parked to the side. And then, you know, people in gear would kind of, you know, it was completely different. Like you're, you're like a, not a welcome person anymore yeah. <laughs> coming from Italy. <laughs> uh, and then it had to all be tested. And uh, they, as a precaution, they went into kind of, yeah, quarantine. And then, uh, you know, they would be tested uh, if they had anything, if they showed any symptoms. That was the testing in the beginning. Like you right. had to show symptoms get testing they quickly realized they had to change that and open up that more but the health system didn't have capacity for it mm-hmm. so a private company stepped up uh, and said we'll do it for free if we can publish the results yeah yeah is so, this the one that yes. was published that talked about the 50 percent of people were asymptomatic in Iceland? yeah it's called Decult, the company. Actually, it's owned by American companies. So it's not even Icelandic. Yeah. It's an American company that is doing research in Iceland. Uh, you know, the founder is still CEO. So he sold it off a long time ago, but he uh, decided he's going to test anyone. So people who thought they might have something, they came first to the testing. But right. then he said, well, to make this really proper research material, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we need to test people that don't want to be tested or yeah, yeah, well, or not, or don't think they're sick and haven't talked to anyone they think is sick. Uh, So they actually kind of send out, you know, letters or emails or whatever, and reached out to people and got enough people. So they really have a feeling of how many are infected. And the latest data shows 0.8% of the country is affected. Now, what about in all? Well, this, this, yeah, overall, this is like the test what they have done so far. Now, okay. we haven't started the, uh, you know, the antibody tests yet. Right. Uh, this was really on the height. Now, Iceland has gone down to zero now. Zero cases. Nice. Yeah. Nice. They've absolutely flattened the curve and there was no shutdown. So how was it done? As I said, the, the example of the plane before was an example. Mm-hmm. But... What was happening when they were focusing on North Italy, actually, uh, people were coming in sick from Austria, mm-hmm. UK, and United States. So and, Iceland uh, already infected. Yeah, and they didn't know that. Uh, as soon as they discovered it, I think on March 5th, they discovered one or two cases uh, from Eskul, Austria. And uh, the whatever the doctor is called, the one that epi- epidemiologist. Pandemic. Yeah, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the head, head doctor of that, uh, he contacted this little skiing village in Austria and told them, I already have two cases from people who came and were skiing there. So you have something serious going on and you need mm-hmm. to check it. They ignored his advice uh, and kept the ski area open for another 10 days and uh, Spiegel Spiegel is a well-respected magazine in uh, Germany Germany who does a lot of research research Uh they do a lot of research Uh, they think there will be a lot of lawsuits against this village because they knowingly continued even though probably the whole village was infected 
-hmm. And there are thousands of cases in Scandinavia that can be directly traced to this village. And all over Europe. And all over Europe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, All over Uh, Europe. Because I remember seeing the reports about the ski resort in uh, Austria, right? Austria. Um, Yeah. But I didn't realize that there was that background story about saying, oh, by the way, this is coming from where you Mm. are. Yes. So you need to do something. And then they ignored it. Yeah, that's definitely. They ignored it. And 10 days is a long time. Mm -hmm. 10 days is a long time when you have a pandemic. Uh, So they started in Iceland to have more danger zones. They they, they had North Italy as a danger zone. And then Mm -hmm. they started to say Austria. And, but it, 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 at some point it was just the whole world, really. It didn't matter where you were coming from. Right. Uh, Right. But the key was in the beginning, it was very diligent in testing, tracing and quarantine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the funny thing is, Icelanders don't like to follow rules. I think it's very funny. <laughs> uh, we, we, we like to break rules. You yeah. know, if you tell someone in Germany that they have to follow the rules and they have to stay at home and do this. And, you know, I live in Switzerland right now. I come from Iceland, but I live in Switzerland. If you tell a Swiss person they have to do something, they'll do it. But in Iceland, they will not. This but is the difference funny. is. But the difference is if there's an avalanche, a volcanic eruption, earthquake, yeah. or in this case, a pandemic, then they actually listen and they will do what is best to help other people. So this, this, there's this solidarity. Mm-hmm. It's not individualism. It's right. the opposite. It's like we, we stick together. So, oh, if I stay at home, uh, I have to do it. So that started to be you know, shared with people like you stay at home. Uh, When you go to the shop, you know, uh, use hand sanitizer, use gloves, like, you know, meet as few people as possible and all that stuff. So everyone was just staying at home. So they never had to close shops. You know, even non-essential shops have stayed open the whole time. And this is not the Swedish, uh, you know, (laughs) solution, which has caused a lot of deaths. We've had 10 deaths in Iceland. Uh, but it was really key, the testing, tracing, and quarantine, and then the voluntary self-isolation of the public, and then still keeping everything like, yes, the economy is horribly hit because we, tourism yeah. was so big. Uh, right. Uh, but still, if you put tourism aside, a lot of other companies have been able to continue a business as before. And they also... Uh, Middle of March, they already had a tracing app. Wow. They were so quick. You know, in Switzerland, they're still discussing if they should create one. And I'm like, seriously? Like six weeks behind, you know, what are you thinking, guys? Switzerland Uh, was pretty hot there in the beginning when all the cases were getting reported. Because when I was looking at all the numbers in the early days for the U.S., Switzerland was in the top five. Switzerland Um, is not good. yeah. Yeah. So... The, the, the issue with Switzerland is they're neutral, generally, you know, mm-hmm. they try to be neutral worldwide. And I think they were just trying to, to be too nice to the Italians. So the borders were not closed. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. Italians that work in Switzerland, mm-hmm. the Italian area in Switzerland where everyone speaks Italian. So they get 40% more salary by working there. So they were keeping the borders open. Now you want to keep them open for like, you know, 
food and other things that we need from these countries. But yeah, people were just going back and forth. And so that was a big, big mistake that Switzerland made. And uh, I was just looking at the numbers today because they are starting to opening everything up. And I'm like, in Iceland, they're not even opening up until next week. You know, even though Iceland didn't close anything, they still had like, you know, uh, guidelines, guidelines, you know, and yeah, and restaurants, ultimately, actually, I think they shut down restaurants in the end and hairdressers. So they're starting to open that mm-hmm. up again, but all other shops stayed open. Yeah, now and the did tracing Iceland app. Did step in as the government, did the, did the government step in there and help financially for people who were affected by this? Yeah, uh, there has been three, you know, like three-step process where they're helping uh, for instance, companies can reduce, uh, you know, you can reduce the work down to 25% or you can even say this person is not working right now. Mm-hmm. Company will have to pay 25% salary, but the government will pay the rest. So that's right. kind of a figuring out like, because it's just paused. But if you know, uh, like with the airlines and tourism, because that's really a hard hit. Uh, then you, uh, they're stepping in to help you lay off. In the beginning, they said no to it. You know, people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of uh, hotels and restaurants said, we cannot even afford, a th- there's a three-month um, salary you have to pay when you let, let someone go. It's not like two weeks in the U.S. It's right. three months. Mm-hmm. So three months is a lot. When you're running a company, you may not yeah, be able to afford it. If you have to, to lay off a it. lot of people, that's a lot of money. Yeah, so the, so the government is stepping in now and paying for that. But I think Switzerland has done a lot better than Iceland. So that's where you see the differences. In Iceland, mm-hmm. we did really well on the health side. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we flattened the curve. We're down to zero cases. Uh, in Switzerland, they could have done better with the borders and all of that. But when it comes to money... Well, then they know what to do because there's a lot of money in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. They announced already uh, middle of March, uh, you can get an interest-free loan, uh, 10% of your last year's revenue. And then they announced a date where you can apply for it. 24 hours later, everyone had their money. Oh, amazing. It's not happening here. (laughs) So, I'm sure you've heard horror stories about the U.S., but we don't need to go I, into that. <laughs> no, let's not. I have heard them all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, at the end of the day, there's a lot of challenges that we're, we're going through. Obviously, a lot of fears. There's fears about the health side of things, and there are fears about the economic aspect of it as well. Um, I think a lot of people who have been on the positive side when it comes to the economics part, maybe they've been hit financially to a certain extent, but they, but they're okay. You know what I mean? Like they've got some sort of base or foundation, but there's a lot of people who don't. And so I think that the opinions and all the things that are going around all the time have a lot to do with where someone is in the situation. Mm-hmm. Long term, though, I think that the attitudes may also change if this continues, you know, for several more months. We're talking about much more devastation financially, 
Um, Health-wise, we may be bringing that down around the world. Obviously, Iceland's brought that all the way down. But Iceland, if they're dependent on so much of the tourism, how long can this go? Because you've got this pristine, sterile island now, you know, and no one can come to it. Well, actually, the borders are open in Iceland. Really? They're not closed. But if anyone comes now, they uh-huh. have to go into a two-week quarantine. Oh, well, but so it's so not going to be That's like... not very exciting for someone who wants... <laughs> no, you're not like travel. going to Vic to look at the black beaches and you're not going to that fun little... Uh, oh, the, the thing I thought was the best there was... Um, there was a museum along the way when you go towards Vic or Vic or whatever you call it. And the museum had um, a lot of information about this man who had collected all of these um, materials from the time before the war, you know, because whenever the war happened, the Americans come, they fly in, they bring all this new tech, you know, new everything, new stuff, new supplies, new materials. And it's like Iceland just changed from this, you know, very old fashioned medieval almost place to this modern day uh, world. And this guy had collected all of these artifacts and things um, that people had used that they had been burning because they, they were, they felt like, Oh, we're free to this new world and we can burn all this old stuff that we had. And there was a museum all about those things along the way. So yeah, if people are coming to Iceland, they're not going to go quarantine for two weeks if they're wanting to tour around and do this and that. And so the tourism dollars would not be there. No, this is the guideline until May 15th. So let's see what happens after then. Yeah. Uh, I am not too worried about Iceland generally because uh, we come from a fisherman nation. And I do think that's kind of in the blood where if there's fish in the sea, you, you catch it and then you can buy yourself a car or TV or go on holiday. If there's no fish in the sea, you don't. Uh, and... I think this is also how, you know, there have been ups and downs in my life where I've had less money, especially as a student, like you just adjust, you know, you, you, you do less, you do different things. Mm -hmm. And before 2010, uh, annual visitors to Iceland were 500,000. Last year, it went up to 2.5 million. Mm Mm-hmm. So what if we just goes back to 500,000? Is that so bad? Like we had a life before it was going okay. We just maybe had tech companies be number one or fisheries be number two. Tourism mm-hmm. wasn't one of the pillars of, 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 you know, getting money into the country. But I think uh, if they find a way to get the tourists back, you know, how attractive is it to actually travel to a country where there are zero cases? You want to go there on holiday. Yeah. And there are certain countries I don't want to go to right now. And <laughs> even in Switzerland, I'm not feeling too safe. So I'm just staying at home. Um, so I hope they find a way. But I, if they don't, I'm, I'm not too worried. I just hope that the, the uh, main airline, Iceland Air, mm-hmm. I hope they stay alive because they are flying like six flights a week now. And before they were doing like, I don't know, 25 flights a day. So this right, is a right. big change. And uh, 
I want to be able to go to Iceland and, and see my family. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope uh, the government will step in. I think actually they will. I think with airlines, governments will step in because mm-hmm. this is similar to the crisis 10 years ago where, you know, the financial crisis in 2008, right. uh, they stepped in for the banks. Yeah. I think they will step in with airlines. Like, we don't want uh, to be isolated. You know, Iceland is an island. We need to have airplanes, uh, you know, yeah. to go anywhere. Even just like, I don't know, it could be some emergency and people are still trying to travel back to their home country, whether it's the U.S. or Iceland. Well, one last question that I wanted to ask you, and I've asked everybody I think so far, is that in spite of all of the the fears and the devastations and the things that are happening, what are your bigger hopes in the world as a result of COVID-19? I hope to see more solidarity. Uh, I am seeing signs of it. There's a certain fear of like, oh, here's my country. I'll, I'll fix my country. I'll not help another country. But mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping for more solidarity. I see parts of it. Uh, I'm also seeing like, you know, I travel a lot and suddenly I realize like, well, maybe I don't need to travel so much. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we'll help the environment a little bit by traveling less. And yeah. when we travel, we do it mindfully. We, we do it carefully. It's not just because, oh, I go for two days to a conference. Like we do it more like a, hey, this is a big thing. I'm traveling. I'm going to make the most out of it. Yeah. Uh, I think it uh, has brought many families together. Um, some families not so, and maybe we'll have some divorces as a result, <laughs> like happened in China. Uh, but I see it as a positive thing. I, I'm just an eternal optimist. I, I believe when all is said and done that we will have a better world. I think I agree with you on that. I definitely see a silver lining in a lot of different ways from different perspectives. And what's funny about that question is that I don't think I've gotten the same answer from anyone yet. That's good. That's great. Yeah, I know. It's good, isn't it? I may have to do a do some posts on that, you know, make that just like social media post of the day or the hopes for the future and put put the quotes underneath, you know, of who of who it's from. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, if there's anything else that you'd like to share, I'd love to hear it. Anything else well, you want to mention? No, uh, I, I do. Uh, talking about, you know, sharing about COVID-19. Uh, this is also some people are not sharing much. And I decided to really share. So I do a daily talk on my Facebook Live, uh, on my Facebook page. I do a mm-hmm. daily Facebook Live mm-hmm. talking about what I'm doing, uh, not like I don't talk about how cases have gone down, COVID-19, but the topic is more like turnaround. Like what, what can you do right now? What am I doing mm-hmm. in my business? I'm very transparent in my business. Uh, I've talked about like, I took a 50% pay cut myself. Mm-hmm. I asked my employees to take a 20% pay cut. It's not because uh, we are hit necessarily financially. Actually, we are kind of making more money than before, probably 10 or 20% more. Mm-hmm. But who knows how things will look like three, six, nine months from now. Yeah. And my experience from turnarounds is you have to be proactive. You have to do things 
earlier than you think you need to do them mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's much worse to come because when you're in the panic, when you're in the shock, this was the right time to announce the changes in the business. If I come three months later and say, hey, now you need to take a pay cut, people are like, are we doing so badly or what's wrong or are we yeah. going bankrupt? And I'm like, no, no, no. I announce it when the, the, the feeling of the time is right, not when I need it. And if we don't need it, no worries, we can pay bonuses. But in case we need it, we're being cautious. Very smart, smart business lady. Definitely somebody to know. And I cannot wait to come to Iceland next June because my ticket was extended for the one from this year that was canceled. So, yeah. And finally, the uh, airlines and all the hotels have kind of reacted. It was a panic time. And people are like, oh, I can't change my flight. I'm like, just wait. Just wait. It's all going to be sorted out. And now it is. Yeah. And I had not made my reservations yet. Cause I was still trying to figure out cause I was going to the UK for a conference the week before and then coming mm-hmm. to Iceland for your conference. And I was so excited about that. And I was trying to work out the details about my daughters to see if they were going to come with me and what we were going to do in between. And if they were going to come to Iceland or not, we, we had not even worked any of any of that out yet. And then their spring break trips, because they were going, one was going to Europe and one was going to the Caribbean. They both got canceled. They moved home. And it all just all of a sudden it was like, oh, I think maybe this isn't going to happen. So <laughs> yeah, that's good that I had Very not, true. not done that yet. We'll make it even better in 2021. Let's definitely make it better in 2021. I think I'm really excited about it and look forward to meeting you again and also meeting people that are in your community and network. It'll be fun. It will be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you for having me, Sally. You're welcome. Thank you for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to hear all our episodes. Go to shoutyourcause.com to our podcast page for information on our guests and notes from this show.